If I were an essayist working for some newspaper or network during a time like this, I am not sure what I would say, where I would start. I mean, what would you say? My mind races with the pandemic and now the social unrest and protests. I don't know where I would start. But I'm not an essayist. I'm a preacher, and preachers start with biblical texts. Texts, they give us words to ponder, to read, and to reflect upon. In this case, the words come from the book of Psalms, and Psalm 13, like all of the others, is a poem. It's poetry. And that can be a problem for some folks. Mary Oliver, the award-winning poet, once was asked, how do you help people who are intimidated by poetry? And she said, don't ask them what it means. Ask them this, how does it make you feel? That's such a good question. How does Psalm 13 make you feel when you read it? It's a lament, a cry to God, in some ways a complaint. A protest. How do you feel about complaining to God? I grew up in the South, and my parents insisted that I answer them, yes, sir, and no, ma'am. And that was true not just for my parents, but for all adults. All adults were addressed, sir and ma'am. You were to respect your elders, and you were not to talk back, and you didn't ask why, because they would say, Because I said so. And if that were true for adults, imagine the message that I got and maybe you too about how you would respect God. How do you feel about a psalm that complains to God? I don't know if you saw that study out of the University of Copenhagen. One of our members sent me a newspaper clipping and it referenced this study. The woman had done studies of Internet searches in 95 countries at a time when the pandemic started and searches online for airline flights and hotels were falling off. Searches for prayer. That was the search word. Prayer were soaring for every 80,000 cases. The searches doubled. If you're looking for a prayer, I would suggest adding Psalm 13 to your repertoire. Even if the psalmist is complaining, he still addresses God as Lord, modeling for us that it is faithful prayer. It is faithful prayer to complain and cry out to God. And it seems to me it is a a psalm that is perfect for the context, both ours and the ancient one. For ours, of course, I mean, look at what is going on in the world, but also for the ancient context, and it's just a little bit complicated. None of the psalms really give us the exact context of the writing. Sometimes there's a little misleading piece at the top. But I mean the context for all of the Psalms together. Where they really come in our Bibles is what I mean, and I'm using the plural on purpose. Christians and Jews both have this collection of Psalms, but where they come is different. 
And here's one way to think about it. When these ancient documents were written, they were written on scrolls. And you could keep scrolls in a basket, in a box. You could just have them on the floor. But when the book was invented, the codex was invented, you had to figure out, well, what order will they come in? What what will come first? And what scroll will come second and, and after that? And Jews and Christians came up with a different order. Both of us have all three parts to that first testament. But the way the Christians have laid it out is that we have this Torah, these stories and the law. And then we have these writings like Psalms and Job with silence and questioning and wondering. And then we put the prophets last because they speak of something to come and For us, we interpret that as the Christ who would have come and fix all that is wrong. Well, so to speak. But that's not the way the Jews put their Bible together. The Tanakh, as they call it, has that Torah with those stories and law. And then it has the prophets. And then it ends with the Psalms and with Job in these things called the writings. In other words, it ends with silence and questions instead of speech. And the context is pretty interesting. I know you've heard preachers do this for years and years. We have tried to explain the Babylonian exile, and it just kind of floats over our heads, and and maybe rightly so, about King Nebuchadnezzar who conquered Israel. He tore down the walls of the city of Jerusalem, destroyed the temple. He even took some of the elites back to Babylon. It's hard to relate to that, but that's not the context. The context here is something that happens after that. Because, not surprisingly, another army came along and conquered the Babylonians. And the Persians, under King Cyrus, he issued a decree of, If Jews want to, they can return to their land and rebuild. And and there's a lot more to it. But some of them chose to do that. And that's the context where the Psalms get placed is the return. And this is where I think it fits so well with what's going on in our world. Some of them return and others said, I don't know why we don't just stay the way things were in Babylon. And among those who returned, there were these three projects One was to rebuild the walls. Another was to rebuild the temple. And maybe the most challenging of all, and this sounds very much like post-COVID to me, was to rebuild the community. How would we ever rebuild the community? The economy, the camaraderie, the business, how would we make this work? And, And there were also people who said, yeah, the temple's being rebuilt, but it's never going to be as great as Solomon's temple. And not surprisingly, after the Persians, another army and another army. And in the time of Jesus, it was the Romans. So no wonder that one of the Psalms is, How long, O Lord? How long? At least two theologians I know have written about what's called Holy Saturday. That's the term they use. Alan Lewis And David Cunningham have both written about it. Holy Saturday, if you don't know, is the Saturday that falls between Good Friday and Easter Sunday. Good Friday, the day of suffering, 
and death. And Easter Sunday, the day of resurrection and hope. And both of them say, but where we live is in between. We live in Holy Saturday with one foot in Good Friday and one foot in Easter Sunday. And some days we lean more on one and some days on the other. Scholars note that Psalm 13 is kind of a textbook lament because it begins with cries of how long, O Lord, and ends with praise. I have trusted in the Lord God. But that's not to be interpreted as sequential. In other words, it's not a faithful prayer if you start with lament but always need to end with praise. I think it would be more accurate to say it's cyclical. These are the rhythms of our lives to live in praise and lament and lament and praise. I remember a couple of weeks ago when the social unrest started and the protest about the, the violence in our streets and the police brutality. I remember because Carla and I talked the very next day about worship and what would we say. When I picked up the phone She said, what's wrong? And I said, I've been reading the news. And I said, are you okay?" And she said, my spirits are lifted. She had come that morning to watch the preschoolers returning to our building. And there's nothing like watching little kids to lift your spirits, right? I mean, that's Easter Sunday. But I think we both said on the phone, if we checked back just a couple of hours earlier or later, the roles might be reversed. These are the rhythms of our lives. We live in that holy Saturday place of lament and praise and sometimes some crazy combination. I'm not an essayist, but there is a tool that preachers and essayists alike use, journalists as well. It's an ancient technique called synecdoche, which is just this big fancy word for how a little slice of something can come to represent the whole. It can give you the big picture. If I said to you that over 400,000 people have died from this COVID-19, you can't grasp that. You can't process that. It's too big. But if I tell you about one person, you can multiply it and feel it. Sunday Ritter, I like her name, Sunday Ritter, was born and raised in Everett, Washington. It's a little suburb just north of Seattle. She went to Mariner High School. She married... Together they had six kids. They were three boys and three girls, so there was kind of a Brady Bunch. But in 2012, her husband died of a heart attack. She worked at a Ross department store, one of those dress for less, trying to make ends meet. And then if that weren't enough, she was diagnosed with stage four breast cancer. She went through chemo double mastectomy, radiation, and just at the first of this year was starting to see light at the end of the tunnel when she was diagnosed. Actually, when she was first sick and went, 
they couldn't quite figure out what it was because this was at the very beginning of the pandemic. And so her family could even visit as long as they wore masks. But once she was diagnosed, those six kids never got to be with their mom again. They stood at the window of the hospital. Sometimes they texted back and forth, at least when her strength would allow it. Eventually, her words gave way to emojis only. And the six kids and Sunday's sister gathered at that window and talked to her on a walkie-talkie that a healthcare worker held. And that was how they said goodbye. She died March 16th. She was 42 years old. The kids started a GoFundMe page, and the oldest, who just graduated from college, is trying to figure out how to pay off the house, manage the bills. How long, O Lord? If I said the name George Floyd, most of us think of a movement. But he was a person. George Perry Floyd. Some people actually called him Perry, his middle name. Some people called him Big Floyd because he was a big guy. He was 6'4", although some of his athletic buddies in high school said, no, no, 6'6". You know, they like to exaggerate those things. He went to Yates High School in Houston. He was born in North Carolina, but Houston was his home. That's where he grew up. And at Yates, he played basketball. He played some football. And he played basketball in college before he dropped out. He made a living detailing cars, but his real love was to do some DJ rapping on the side. And he he got in trouble with the law from time to time, mostly related to drugs and theft, the two closely related. And for one of those charges, he served four years in prison. And when he got out, he finally got his act together. He became a part of a ministry called Resurrection Houston, helping people like him. And then he finally decided he would move to Minneapolis. That somehow represented a new place and a new start. And it was. He, he filmed a video 2017, he filmed this video against gun violence. And his last job was a security guard. He lost that job when the pandemic came. And then he contracted COVID-19, but recovered. And then on May 25th, police held him because he had tried to pass a $20 counterfeit bill. He was killed, handcuffed, face down, with the officer's knee on his neck for nine minutes. He was 46 years old, and he leaves behind five children. How long, O Lord? You know... The Psalms, they're, they're ancient. And yet, every one of them is written in the present tense. Isn't that something? They are always old and always new, always now. And so, with the psalmist of old, 
We look out our window onto this world. And we cry, how long, O Lord, how long? And we mean that as prayer. That is our prayer. 